It's Saturday, October 27th, 2018, and you're listening to episode 499 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 55 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Caleb. This is Wayne. My name's Chad. So this week we are going to talk about intention and... This is a topic that, Caleb, you actually inspired me for, whether you meant to or not. Uh, we had a board game night over at your place. It was me, yep. Chad Wayne, and your friend, Sierra? Sierra. Sierra. Yeah. Sierra, okay. I, I knew I was somewhere in the ballpark there. <laughs> and we played a bunch of different board games, including some games that I won by unintentionally cheating because I didn't know the rules. And the cards were not very clear. Sushi Go, I aced. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Completely fraudulently. Like the scores were you know, 7, 8, Dan, 32. <laughs> <laughs> didn't raise any red flags with us. We, we, we didn't know. With it. We yeah. didn't know. Yeah. But, but, let's face it. Out of anyone you've ever played at, who's which, gonna, yeah, Dan would you ever imagine Dan being a cheater? See, that that's my whole thing, is that I think Dan's playing the long game. One day, when he's 80 or 90 years old, in the old folks' home, he's waiting for that prime... Like diplomacy game, yeah. it has thirty-two people in it, and it has a hundred grand on the line, yeah. and he and mm-hmm. he has this reputation of you know I only do alliances, I never lie, I never backstab, I'm you know rules above board, all this my my life reputation is this, and then boom, he's just going to be like France and screw Germany, and he's in there and win the game when there is a million dollar purse on the line. John will finally get the game of Junta. He wants out of me. And until then, I am going to keep demonstrating that you can stay in power as the president and run a stable island just to infuriate him. No one will know your tell because you won't have one until that point. Yeah, precisely. There will be no tell up to that point. All right. But so anyways, one of the games we played, which I thoroughly enjoyed, I enjoyed so much that I'm actually, my family keeps a running set of wish lists for birthdays and holidays and such. So first of all, the recipient knows they're getting what they want. And then secondly, so the giver knows they're giving what the person wants. So we don't have to include gift receipts and such. So we keep a running list and I've actually added this game to the list of things that I would like to see on a birthday or holiday because I enjoyed it Did so you much. the name of the game? I'm getting to oh, that. Oh, okay. So <laughs> he's building up. And oh. Okay. I like the game enough that I went out and actually bought the game already. Yeah. The know. only reason I didn't is because I have a birthday. The game is called The Game. Yes. Yeah, so that's all it's called. <laughs> you just lost it. You, you just lost yes, it, by the way, by it. saying it. So I have a plan, right? On Reddit, there's our nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And one of my highest rated comment is going to be, I haven't done this, is going to be just our nostalgia. You lost the game. <laughs> I, I'm sure that you're not be. the first person to have done that, but that's, maybe, it's Reddit. It, it doesn't maybe matter. Not. I, the game is Bang, mm-hmm. and specifically we were playing Bang 4th Edition. Now, I don't know how different Bang is from 1st to 2nd to 3rd to 4th Edition, so I cannot have an edition wank. Well, they couldn't sell the 1st edition of Bang to minors, so <laughs> they had to change it because they wanted to get into Target. <laughs> I, you don't know if I'm lying or not. No, I don't. <laughs> I, I, this is a plausible story. Yeah. There are also a whole series of expansions for it. So, yeah. well, so well, if, you lying, buy, by the way. if you buy the one that's in a giant bullet, it comes with like three or four expansions. Yeah, there was a dice game, and then there's like yeah. a mixed dice and card game. All right, so the version we were playing, let me explain how this game works. 
is the not set- the band rated X version. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the setup is or the Columbine version. The setup the parody is that it's a spaghetti western. And in fact, so much spaghetti western that it is actually an Italian game right. with subtitling in English. And no, I'm not joking. And what you do is each person is randomly dealt two things. One is the character you're playing, and the character has some kind of special perk that's unique to that character. And then the second thing is you are dealt face down that only you see your role. And only one person... R-O-L-E. Yeah, R-O-L-E. And only one person turns their role over, which is the sheriff. Now, outside of the sheriff, there are three other roles. The deputy whose goal is to make sure that only deputies and the sheriff are alive at the end of the game. The outlaws, whose goal is to make sure that the sheriff and deputies get killed. Specifically the sheriff, I think. The sheriff gets Mm -hmm, killed. And the fourth role is that of the renegade. And the renegade has this middle goal of where they have to make sure that the sheriff is the second to last to die because you have to kill the outlaws first. Then you kill the sheriff and the deputies and the deputies. So only the renegades can be alive. So they're like anarchists. They can be the only ones left. And if they just side with the sheriff, then the sheriff will be too powerful at the end for them to take out because the sheriff's bonuses are pretty good. Yeah. The sheriff, because they're the only person whose face card is revealed. And they are an immediate target for the outlaws and a secondary target, but a necessary target for the renegades. They get some perks to make them more powerful. And so there's this game of deception because you're trying to accomplish your goal and figure out who else at the table is on your team. Because there are probably multiple deputies, multiple outlaws, possibly multiple renegades without giving it away such that the people on opposite teams eliminate you. And so you get this big game of subterfuge where it actually may, for example, behoove a deputy to take a pot shot at the sheriff just to throw the outlaws and renegades off their tail. And I I realized something while I was playing this, because everyone at the table, with the exception of the sheriff, has a hidden intention or hidden agenda. And absolutely everyone at this table with the exception of the people that are on the same teams, has divergent intentions. You cannot have a combination win, meaning you cannot have a game where both the renegades and the sheriff plus deputies win. Only one side or the other can win. But I hate games that have a traitor mechanic. I love them. I, I know. and then, yeah, I yeah. love them too. And <laughs> personally, that's fine. it's fine by me. People can like whatever. But for me, games like Shadows of Camelot, Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica, the ones where it's the whole table versus one or maybe two traders, has just never done it for me. I don't like it. And I don't know if it's because of personal history with literal betrayal. I don't know if it's something less direct than that. If I just don't like feeling on edge and feeling suspicious and trying to suss out what somebody really wants. Whatever it is, it just pushes a negative button with me. But I found in Bang, which is more of a cooperative PvP than just a flat-out screw-the-table PvP, that I thoroughly enjoyed the game. I loved the game. 
You should play Secret Hitler. <laughs> well, I, okay, in Secret Hitler, you at least have two factions. Right. You don't have a traitor. You have someone who is literally Hitler. Well, lizard Hitler, but yeah. Okay, so you have someone who is figuratively, literally, figuratively, literally Hitler. But then you have, there's the fascists, and you have... The I mean, liberals. Liberals or communist socialists. No, yeah. liberals. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it, it effectively is replaying 1930s, early 1930s mm-hmm. Germany, where you had the Bolsheviks versus the fascists. And... Yep, same thing where you've got the roles in there. No one knows anyone else's role, except the fascists know each other's role, mm-hmm. if you have enough players. Nobody knows who Hitler... The fascists know who Hitler is, but Hitler doesn't know who the fascists are. And the liberals don't know who anybody is. is. Who anybody is. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so these games factionalize the players. All right, so moving to role-playing games. And by the way, bang, at least fourth edition. I can't get caught up in edition war because I've never played first through third. But at least the fourth edition, I thoroughly enjoyed, if you're looking for a game that is a lot of fun to play and also, by the way, scales upward very well. So if you have a large group of people, like you want to play this with seven or eight people, it scales very well. This is a great game for you to pick up, which is why I am getting a copy. Because when I play board games most often is at family gatherings. And though I don't have much of an extended family, I have a large immediate family. And so it's not uncommon for us at Christmas or Easter or something to have eight people trying to play a board game. There's not a lot of games that accommodate that. So th- this is Prepare a great- to get an in-flood in your inbox of people recommending eight-plus player. You know what? I'm okay with that. I really, <laughs> yeah. really am. And furry porn. And, and, and there's well, a- <laughs> depending on the furry porn. I mean, if it's like cat girl sort of furry porn. Western. <laughs> Western. <laughs> yeah, if you want to send me cat girl, cow girls. Yeah. Not literal cow. <laughs> no, 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 porn. no, 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 like that. Why was I okay with that? Which I've already hit on, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to beat that to death. But more, how does this apply to a role-playing game? And I've got several angles I want to talk about this from. I want to start with a game master. It is my firm belief that a great trait of a game master is hiding their intentions. Now, I think to some extent the game master ought to leave clues. I am not a big fan of obfuscation. Meaning, I'm not a big fan of game masters who draw out their games by intentionally making things impossible to figure out, or every time you go to jump the fence, you just plain can't do it. I'll come up with an excuse why it's impossible. I I hate that. Like moving the goal line. Yes, precisely. I'm also not a big fan of things that there's no way anyone could have seen coming. I I, I like the foreshadowing or something, Mm -hmm. to an extent. It shouldn't be obvious, because if it's obvious, it's telegraphed and it's boring. But I think good storytelling and game mastering requires obfuscating intention to a point. The fact that maybe the evil wizard isn't the evil wizard, or maybe he is, but he's got a point. Some examples I can give from popular media. Let's go with The Wizard of Oz. The punchline in both the movie and the novel is the Wizard of Oz is not a wizard at all. 
And this occurs, by the way, in a world, and they don't, well, I guess they do deal with it in the movie. They deal with it more in the book, but they deal with it in the movie as well to some extent, is it's a place where magic is real. There really were magic users within Oz, Ozma being the biggest one, who's not dealt with at all in the first movie. She's dealt with in the, the sort of spiritual sequel of Return to Oz. Which is a really, like, that movie will give you nightmares if you watch it as a oh, kid. Oh, and it's much closer yeah. to the books yeah. than the original the, movie the was. The books are freaky. Yeah, Return to yeah. Oz was, I remember when I found it, I don't remember how old I was, but I always remember watching it as like, this is just messed up, the things that happen in that movie. Yeah, but the point is, though, that the Wizard of Oz not being a wizard at all, but being a huckster, sending them on impossible journeys with no expectation of them succeeding just to try and keep hiding his position, this is a hidden intention. And if you were running this as a game master, that would be a really neat twist at the end, is the fact that the Wizard of Oz is no wizard at all, despite the fact that there are wizards in this setting. That's the thing, you know, but he's not one of them. To have bad guys or even good guys who aren't telling you the full story that maybe they're not even being wholly dishonest, or maybe they're not even dishonest at all. But they just aren't telling you the entire complexity, the entire nuance of why they do what they do. And as a tip to game masters, if your plot is wholly self-explanatory from the very first meeting with the shady guy in the back of the tavern, this may be a good place to start on upping your game. That if he lays out, oh, there's an, a dragon with a princess and a tower, and that's, boom, that's it? Just you got to rack up enough levels and treasure until you can defeat the dragon? Or better yet, it's like the uh, Bruce Lee Tower of Death tower, where each floor gives you a set amount of XP until you get to the top where the dragon is. Yeah, and the only thing cool about that was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yes. I think one of my best examples of this is a character from the Dresden Files game. There is, uh, his name was Amina. He was a... Mina? No. Old man? He was a Bosnian werewolf. Okay. St. Louis has a Bosnian community, and yeah. in, the, yep. in the game, that community was an organized werewolf slash mob. His hidden agenda, his whole thing, he didn't want anything to do with any of the organized crime. He wanted to cook. <laughs> he was a chef, but somebody had to keep this group in line and in control, and he was a werewolf and was the leader of the pack. But he didn't want any of the criminal things. Mm -hmm. He wanted to cook. And that was his whole hidden agenda is he didn't want people to know that he didn't actually... He had to keep the respect, basically. Yeah. He had to keep his position. The characters found that out. They found mm -hmm. out that was his desire and that he never wanted to run the mob. But he could never let any of the other factions in the city know that because that would be a weakness that they would have stepped in and crushed him. Yeah. And we never outed him or changed it or helped him. <laughs> <laughs> because then we'd have to deal with all the werewolves. And who wants that? Me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of work, man. Yeah, yeah. okay, fair enough. It is. And, and and there are bigger problems. They could help you if you need them. You can call on them. We made yeah. friends with them. Again, we didn't help the poor schmuck <laughs> with his problem in any way. We kind of <laughs> used him. But, you know. Yeah, but all he wanted to do was cook. Yeah, and we don't stop him from cooking for us for free. <laughs> when we come and visit him and ask him for things. By the hey, way, it's, Bosnian food is good. It's amazing. It's delicious. Yeah, and it's not Bosnian, but there was an episode of The Simpsons 
Yes, there was. Yeah, there, there's, <laughs> there's been a few of them. There it doesn't may... matter what the topic was. Right, there was yeah. an episode of The Simpsons. Oh, I fully believe if we as a race lost our ability to communicate in anything but Simpsons and Family Guy quotes, we could still continue as a completely functional society. Like, nothing would change. And we, could, we would all become oracles and seers. Yes, we would be able to predict unfortunate things about <laughs> the future. But there are Simpsons and Simpsons where Marge gets kicked out of a breakfast party and they mail her her pancakes. <laughs> and I just want to put this out there that if any of you, and I realize this isn't Bosnian, this is more Russian, but if anyone wants to just take a manila envelope and dump a bunch of Monty in there and mail it to me, I am 100% okay with that. Just kind of wax paper it a little bit so it doesn't ooze through the sides. And I'm completely... You know, they invented this thing called boxes. Yeah, they And did. they also have this thing on the internet. Called dry ice, I know. No, it's called recipes.com. <laughs> then you can make your own. I will fail at making yes. my own. I want to laugh. Dan is the worst cook yeah, on the planet, except with grilled cheese. Grilled cheese. I which will make a twelve-year-old can make, but I will make the best. Like you can put me up against a twelve-year-old and a professional chef, and I will f- them both up. I will destroy them in making grilled cheese. I know what your grilled cheese secret is. I'm not going to reveal it out of respect. Respectfully disagree, but it, <laughs> I'm glad you believe that. Everyone else, I have done this test Provel? with. I am everyone no, else. I would out him and set him on fire if it was Provel. Everyone else, I have done this oh, with, has completely agreed that my grilled cheese is the best they have ever had. That's because they're afraid of you. Possibly so. <laughs> you do have a lot of guts. That that is also yeah. true. But let's put aside game mastering for a moment, and let's talk instead. And about, grilled cheese. About, and about grilled cheese. cheese. So about I've grilled been hankered for grilled cheese lately, by the way. Well, I'm not making you one. <laughs> I know, because I can make one because I'm over fucking 12. <laughs> you just can't make one as well. Hey, All right. hey I've watched those Iron Chef, or the, the, was the kids uh, shows with the 12-year-olds who can make steak that, like, mm. blow your mind. I watched a little bit of one of those. Where wife, they would have the oh. kid compete against the adult chef, even. I, the, the one with Gordon Ramsay, where he's got the 12-year-old kids all the way like, down to eight. Eight-year-old kids. Cooking like risotto and ridiculous yeah. comedy. Oh man, my wife watches that too. Yeah, my nephew's getting into that. <laughs> Not the shows, but he's actually getting into cooking. He's good. In, he's into yeah. something called like it's called like little radishes or so. It's yeah. got some weird yeah. name. I'm familiar with. Did that. I just make that up or something? No, 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 no I mean, I, I'm not sure. You, it's radish, but I, I know what you're talking about. It's, it's like one of those meal kit, like Blue Apron or whatever for kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. where he gets oh, okay. like different mm-hmm. cooking challenges yeah. and different recipes. Really good. And he apparently actually like wants to start doing like cooking competitions, but to do those, he has to learn the recipes by heart. Like he has yes. to know how to take these 10 ingredients without a recipe card and, and make something. And it's not like you take a piece of raw meat and you heat it on one side until it's time to turn it over. And then you put it on a plate, and that's quote cooking. Yeah, no, there it's recipes. It's real legit. Yeah, yeah and you kind of figure like, well, thing. yeah, th- this spice would totally yeah. change the dish. And so he's trying to learn all that stuff. And you Good know, for him, yeah. Well, on top of that, I'm I'm especially happy because he's learned that there are cookies, and then there are what we call Uncle Dan cookies. <laughs> and an Uncle Dan cookie, no, it's not what you might think. <laughs> uh, an Uncle Dan cookie is when you put about three times as much icing on the cookies are supposed to be. Right. And so every Christmas I go over there and they have these sugar cookies with this, like, uh, I don't know what it's made out of, but it, there's like an icing on it. Yeah. It's not like buttercream icing. Yeah. It, it's more like a... So your sister, I know this about your family. Yeah. Your thing is grilled cheese. Yeah. And it's legit. He, he Legit is his thing. He does make a good grilled cheese, as ridiculous as it is. 
<laughs> but your sister, her thing is sugar cookies. Well, desserts in general. Desserts in general. Yeah, she's, and especially sugar cookies. Yeah, she's gotten into desserts in general. But yeah, she makes so the, every Christmas I go over there and they have a set aside batch of Uncle Dan cookies, which are the <laughs> sugar cookies. It, but instead of some icing, there is like an obscene, <laughs> profane <laughs> amount of icing that is on these cookies. With players, you have a different, I think, set of parameters for this. Because of the fact that on the one hand, you can have characters who are wholly what you see is what you get. This is exactly the sort of person that you expect, right? This is precisely who you think they are. On the far extreme, you have the character that is looking to screw over the party. They are lying. They are deceitful. They are character. backstabbing. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Did I say player? No, no, no. I, I just wanted to clarify. Okay, yeah. So, so, so character. There are those two. <laughs> yes. yeah, there yeah. are. That's a different topic. <laughs> and in the middle, you have characters that have obfuscated or somewhat hidden agendas, but their agendas are not completely betraying of the party. Mm-hmm. So not- the best example I have of this goes back to the Gnarl game. Siren had, which was past character, mm-hmm. was an elder. His goal was to get back a kingdom. Yeah, that was evil kingdom, right. evil race of beings. But that wasn't counter to what the party wanted. Right. It just wasn't the same as what the party was going for. Yes. And Narl was in on the same side in the same faction. The rest of the party wasn't opposed to that, but it wasn't the entire party goal. And it was that secret that was running through those characters. There was a faction within the party. Yes. And okay, let's let's go with. Putting Sarah aside, Narl, he wanted to reestablish his own Nolish clan, but he wanted it to more closely sort of pseudo-mimic human society, but he also wanted it to peacefully coexist with human society. He had no intention of taking the clan that he was putting together and turning it against the other players. You know, he was not trying to undermine your goals. He was not trying to kill you. But nonetheless, he did have sort of a side agenda. And some of that was made obvious to the other player characters. Some of it was not. And I think that's a neat thing because it does add a certain level of intrigue to the Mm -hmm. game without actually making it feel like you have to spend your whole game protecting yourself from the other players and therefore you can't focus on the plot. The current Skies of Glass game is like this. The real game. (laughs) When the note cards start flying around, there is definitely subterfuge. There are definitely some competing goals. There are some goals that are potentially outright hostile. But it is not as if, and I'll say this as the game master, to the best of my knowledge, there is no note card flying around, at least none that I've seen, where somebody has said, it is my goal to kill Wayne's character. It is my goal to completely make the party fail. Not to just twist some objective. Not to get something additional out of this. Not to send them here so I can secretly steal X while they're after Y. Not, I mean, that type of stuff is cool. Right. And that's yeah. what's going on. That's the kind of cards I'm getting. If you're listening to the actual play you're hearing the cards that are read both in front of the group and then after everyone leaves, the ones that I read to just the audience, you hear that kind of stuff going on. 
And sometimes the card is actually for the entire, for the party's benefit or for another character's benefit. Yeah. But it can't be said out loud because of those hidden factions. Yeah, and I think it's kind of neat, and it strikes this cool balance because you don't have, and I'm going to come back to the other two extremes here in a minute, it adds a little more complexity over what you'd see with a as-is character. Not that I think an as-is character is problematic, and I'll come back to this in a second, but it doesn't leave you on the complete defensive. It doesn't leave you in a state of civil war like a betraying character would, but it does still leave you with a certain amount of guesswork and a certain amount of waiting on that big reveal or getting the the coolness of that big reveal. I like having a big reveal in every game. Not every character needs to have that big reveal, but I like there being something Mm -hmm. where one character had something else going on that the other players don't know about. Yeah. And that's, that's the key for me is I, as a player want to be surprised, even if the character Mm -hmm. hates the surprise. Yeah. As a player, I want that surprise moment. Because that moment to me is one of the cool things about role playing games. Yeah, is and that, like you said, it doesn't have to be the big reveal. Right, can be those are those are neat, yeah. but there are other like minor reveals that can happen along the way as well. Yeah, it's one thing for the GM to be doing reveals and big things like that. That's going to yeah. happen. Mm-hmm. I love it when the players can bring that too. I love it when the players put something into their character like a, a narrative point, a character, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it, it just doesn't come out. Nobody knows about it. They just don't really talk about it. But it influences them and their decisions and the things they've done. Not in some way, like, why did you just do that? I don't get why you did that. There's something going on. But just, you know, they make these choices. They go these directions. They have these goals. And that sort of title influences on those hidden parts. And then... There is not a big mic drop, bang, wow, this reveal. It's more of like a revelation. And then the other players can look back and go, oh, that's why you went right and not left. That's why you didn't kick that door mm-hmm. open. That's why you helped that person instead of, you know, they're just on this track. Yeah, and it doesn't even always have to be contrary to the party at all. I mean, not even 1%. You could have a goal that you have to keep secret for some reason, Like, you've got a kid with you you're claiming is your daughter, who actually Mm -hmm. isn't. And you're trying to smuggle her out because someone encoded top-secret information into her genome or something Mm -hmm. like that. And the rest of the party can't know this. And they would have no problem with it if they did know it. But you can't risk that because if they get caught and interrogated, it's Mm -hmm. just one more place for that information to leak. There's no contrariness in this. There's no conflict in this. But it's just they don't know what's going on. Well, and then that creates possible narratives. Like, how cool is it that that is there and this person isn't their daughter and they're very protective of them and all that sort of stuff. And then as the game goes on, they do all these protective things. And then it's revealed that she's not his daughter. Nothing about the genome or the crazy conspiracy, all that sort of stuff. It just comes out. They're not actually related. Well, then there's a lot of questions. Those questions that wonder, those create role-playing moments. Those... Mm -hmm create moments where the game stops and then the players talk back and forth in character about ask the hard questions do the big denials and the you know the breakdowns and the reveals and stuff and then that is that's when the game is really kicking because that's the part where the game master can sit back close his mouth and just 
be entertained by oh, his players and do nothing. Sure. Yeah, that's playing great. the next scene in their head yeah. while that's going on. It is great. So a, a side question, and I run into this in a, in a past game, and I still wondered how I could handle this better. I was trying to play a character that was a monk, and it was a, I wouldn't call it a rules-breaking issue, but it was kind of a setting-breaking issue. Um, I played a monk who was... With sword and fist involved. It, uh, it was just fit. It was a uh, fist mostly. No, uh, so this is because the sword and fist were yeah. involved. It was game breaking. So think D and D. It was D and D story storyline, but monks are lawful good, and there's a reason for that. Well, my law in my mind, I tried to have this idea where I was a law was he was grown up. It was raised as a farmer, uh-huh. and that you to get the good out of someone, you beat them to get to, to get, you know, so they're bad. They, they were beaten. Therefore they became good. They were corrected through physical combat, physical violence. Right. right. Uh, that's how he was raised. It's how he was grown. And that's where he learned his monk lawful goodness. I was trying to bring that out in story and not make it a, a big deal. Yeah, you know, I was about to say that's nonsense until I actually realized Kung Fu Hustle did that really well. <laughs> so continue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, and that's what I was getting. I would get those kind of con- those nonsense things, and it was outside of game that it was game breaking because they weren't buying into it. But I was trying to not reveal too much, like the backstory mm-hmm. outside of character. So, what kind of I- ideas do you would you think to uh, if you have something that might be setting breaking? Even if the GM's buying in on it, how would you make it not uh, try to present that to a, as a player? Because we can, you can talk about how many different ways you can skin the cat, but how do you do that? How do you implement that without uh, something that's a setting, maybe a setting breaking, or maybe a rule breaking? Even if the GM knows it and is trying to say, okay, guys, you know, is that something maybe the players just have to be in a buy-in on? They just have to understand, or is there? That's one way you can go. Not the way that I would necessarily want, but. A lot of people espouse not having these secrets from the players, having them from the characters, laying it all on the table. Everyone knows all the secrets and you Mm -hmm. just role play that you don't know. I personally, as a player, like the surprises of it. Mm -hmm. So I don't recommend that route, but I know a lot of people do. Yeah. Of just put it all out on the table and then they can help you with that story because the players know. Your up and down of that is if you reveal everything your downside is that depending on the group they might metagame it and i will say this heavily depends on the group and i guess this goes back to an issue the good old know your group know your players of how are they going to respond to this how are they going to respond to somebody running some kind of a hustle behind the scenes or the game master doing something that seems to be wildly outside of the scope of the setting and rules and will the players just trust the the ship is going to ride itself in the end right. that when it all comes clear, it's not going to be total BS. I think on the flip side, I think if you reveal everything, you've also taken away from the players, something Wayne just mentioned, which is they don't have the genuine response to the reveal. Let's look at this in its simplest way, a role-playing game it's not about the game master. It's not about the NPCs. It's not about the PCs. It is fundamentally entertainment for the human beings that occupy the table. And just like when I sit down to read a book or to watch a movie, I want to be taken for a ride that is filled with thrills and surprises and yet still maintains an internal consistency. And the author builds trust that when they go on these wild tangents, they're stretching my trust and do they bring it back in the end or do they just go in some 
BS medical orient sort of direction, and I'm just asked to play along with this for no particular reason. I think you have to look at it the exact same way is what kind of response are you getting from the table? And if you know your table, which I hope you do, unless we're talking about con games, what kind of response do you think you're going to get from your table? Mm -hmm. We talked about this in the skies of glass game with Brandon secret that he was injecting people with medical tests. And thanks Brandon. He was (laughs) concerned that it was going to get metagamed. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say, I think to some extent he was right insofar as the mystery and the big reveal got taken away from the players. The players got robbed of that. I think that the problem with it in that game is that there are so many secrets and so much intrigue. And this is a weird word. The tradition of the table for that group and for that game is that none of the secrets are revealed until they're revealed. That was a pretty major thing that got revealed. If we had been playing since the beginning where every, you know, it's like I had Lee and it's like, okay, guys, Lee is running a game on the back end and here's what the game is and go. And everybody's secrets were out on the table like that. We just in character handled them appropriately. That would have been totally fine. But it was it was in it was an inconsistent handling of the situation. Yeah, and I think that's the real problem. That was the bigger issue was I think Mm -hmm. that it did take something away from the players to have to work through the mystery and then have that moment of discovery. Though, in terms of character reaction, I think if we're to look at metagaming, I think the character reaction would have been harsher if it had been a big reveal. Right. That I think if you'd suddenly found out, I'm dying and it's because of you Mm -hmm. that had that come out of nowhere, I think the... Well, well, and we go back to the question of metagaming. His concern was that people would metagame and they would be looking at him differently. Metagaming isn't always a bad thing. Right. You know, there are some cases you have a character that now has shown up and we're going to make sure that they join the party mm-hmm. because this is a person sitting at the table with yeah. you. Scotty Double V, Wayne's new character, when, when his character Boone died, instead of being like, all right, there's all this crazy conspiracy stuff going on, people are backstabbing us left mm-hmm. and right. All this crazy stuff. We're prisoners. He's another prisoner. That doesn't make him all right because that means he's a criminal. And we yep. know he's a paid assassin. So he's a shit heel. Buddy, welcome. Have some <laughs> yeah. food. And here's a gun. <laughs> and you see this all the time in role playing. Yeah. And sometimes it's a case of some reveal has happened. And the other player can metagame to help make that a better story. Yes. Yeah. Like Brandon's case, we knew that he had done that. Chad, if he were metagaming anything, it was to not blame him for it. And the same thing with me. I was kind of doing the same thing of, okay, out of character, I completely know. In character, let's keep that from being a reveal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's go back to the Gnarl Serence William game. How did you know, as a player, that Gnarl was not going to freak out, betray, and literally eat the party? I knew as a player, because I know you wouldn't do that as a player. Yeah, it's a metagame. Yeah, yeah, it's because we all know that'd be a short, dumb game. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so none of us do it. Guess what? That's metagame. Yeah, and that's metagaming. So you're right, Wayne. Metagaming is not always a bad thing. There was something that I think stands as one of the worst examples of players having a hidden intention, where I think metagame knowledge might have helped. Because it could have blunted this, 
and instead we kept it a carefully guarded secret and it destroyed the campaign was I was playing a Transformers, running a Transformers game years back. I think we've mentioned this story. If not, the short version is they were all more or less independents. They were not Autobots or Decepticons. They were just kind of working on their own. They were working Joacons. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Which is freaking creepy if you've played that video game. Working Um, Joacons? The Working Joes in uh, Alien Isolation. They're the creepiest thing in there. The alien is not half so scary as the working Joes. <laughs> but anyway, great game, by the way. So everybody was an independent, except Texas character was secretly a 100% loyal Decepticon. And that was fine, because okay. I thought it was just going to be more like what Chad was doing with the Rat Man, or Wayne's doing with Chameleon Skink okay. and Gecko, or something like that, where it's going to be some notes get passed back and forth, but it's it's not that big a deal, right? It's just, you're going to have some submissions until at the very end, I don't remember what the MacGuffin was, but he takes the MacGuffin drastically screws over the, over the party and flies it back to Cybertron. And see, and it's like, boom, game done. See, it's the like problem <laughs> the there campaign has, is over. See, the problem there has nothing to do with a secret agenda or telling players or not telling players or anything like that. That has a problem player who the game. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it wasn't a but, subtle reveal. Yeah. If I was in that position, as someone who's run games and someone who's played in games, and I was playing that Decepticon character, I would give openings to you guys to stop me, to yeah. know, to See, find out, to confront I me. I would start dropping clues. Right. right. Because, so what he did is, and this is how Tex operates in all of his games. It is an equation to be solved. It is something to win. Now, when he doesn't do the traitor mechanic stuff, it is a team win. That's how you solve the equation. Sure. In that game, there was everybody and him, and he was going to win. Yeah, and I totally misjudged how he was going to handle that. And I think in that case, the metagame would have helped because I think think if the table had known... Right. Because from what I know of Tex, he's the sort of person... That when confronted, wants to find more of a cooperative middle ground. Mm-hmm. And so I think if it had been known at the metagame level, he is a Decepticon loyalist, then it would have created some openings for people to step in and to notice things they shouldn't have noticed and yeah. found a more... He was trying to win. He won a role-playing game. Congratulations. Yeah, which, yeah, exactly. Well, and, and I think that gives a very big divergence between what you're talking about originally with the Skies of Glass game, mm-hmm. where you had a side agenda, but mm-hmm. it wasn't your actual character's intent to screw the party over. Right. You had no intent for that. Right. You actually I were didn't f- think it was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You weren't even you weren't even 100 percent sure of the conflicts that were going on. Right. With the previous connections with the Rat Man and all of that, Mike, you were trying to get your your tail out of a situation. You took a gamble, and you're take, essentially this the the deal you had was a consequence of getting out. Yeah, and my character was yeah quote playing the game because he was a egotistical. Right, he thought that he could outplay everyone, but on the other hand, too, he didn't know what was going on. He wanted to find out what was going on. So he was playing the game to find out more, and then it resulted in someone dying, and, and that's and, really bad for the game. And right. without giving away spoilers, because you haven't listened to the uh, second part of the campaign, in Brandon's character is kind of the same way. Yeah. Yes, what he is, has done is 
completely against the party, but it's not what he wanted to do. Right. He had his reasons. Yeah. He, right. There's manipulations going around for a lot of the characters. No, none of the characters is against the party. Mm-hmm. All of the characters want that. the party to succeed. <laughs> well, I don't, I, 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 I don't I think agree. any of the okay. characters are against the party. I just don't know that any of the characters are for the party. <laughs> but I, you know, I think Caleb, what you just hit on right there is a great point, which is play reductio ad absurdum. Which for anyone who doesn't know the Latin of that, it means reduction to absurdity. And what that means is you take an idea and you follow it all the way to its ultimate and potentially worst conclusion. Okay, so we take a look at a player comes to me as the game master and says, I want to do this. Okay, so I take a look at that and say, all right, let's say this plays out in its biggest extreme. Where is this going to end? Mm-hmm. What is the player going to do with that? How are the other players going to respond to that? What is that going to do to my game? And if I don't have some confidence, and of course you're taking risks with this, because you don't know for sure how it's going to play out. But if I can't say with at least some confidence, some 80-90% confidence that this is going to hit within an acceptable scattershot, mm-hmm. that maybe we shouldn't do this. Yeah. Dad, we're playing Star Trek, I want to be a Q. Yeah, that's not going to end anywhere well. Or Actually, I think that could be an incredible story, but you would have to have in the intent of the character, why is Q not going to reveal himself all the time? Or is he, you know, something right. of that but sort. My only, if I were, it wouldn't be the Q, like the Q in the, no. it'd be a Q. That if has I were a actually going to do that in a game and come to you and say, I want to be a Q, the way I would have worked it in would be, it's a Q who's been stripped of his power. Well, and the player, I think, figures into this as much as... So a normal guy. As, yeah, <laughs> but a normal guy that has Ties, the knowledge yeah. and the history. Because yeah. even when Q became a normal human in an episode of Next Generation, he still had a very high intellect. And yeah. He still had the memories, and that's a sub-story of the character. Well, yeah, and there were people that had grudges to settle with him and yes. hated him. and So there were things going on there. But I think some of this is I would absolutely look at the player and it's not just the character. If when I'm doing this mental math of where does this work out in the reductio ad absurdum, what is, what is the worst and most absurd possible ending of this is what can I trust the player to do? Can I trust the player to play this? Well, let's take a different one. Let's say we're running a Star Trek game and Wayne comes to me and says, I am a semi-independent Borg who is infiltrating the starship, and I have the nanites or whatever version of the board you prefer. And that's my thing. I'm infiltrating Starfleet and trying to start a board plague. Do I trust that Wayne as a player is going to try to find some way off those railroad tracks and not do that? Not wreck the game and screw the other players. And with Wayne, the answer is yes. There are other players where I would worry that either one, they're so mathematically oriented like Tex was, mm-hmm. that it's just... Well, a, with Tex, it's the goal. Yeah. He tells you right. what his goal is. His goal is to infect Starfleet humans. And so that's what he's going to do. And that is the driving thing. Not make a good game, not work with the players, not create these narrative yeah. moments where he might find out, not fail. 
or secondly, it's that question of what is the goal of it. Right. So yeah. if I were to bring that character to you, which I wouldn't because that goes against everything that is the Borg. Yeah, I agree but with Besides you. that. I let's hated say, the nanite thing, but go on. Let's say I were bringing that character to you. My thought process behind it would be that he has to be disconnected from the collective. So now he's discovering individuality. Right. And that would be the journey that the character would go on, yeah. is becoming an individual and betraying the board. Well, and that's the second part of it, is I would know from the outset, or, or at least have confidence, even if I don't know from the outset, that not only is this not a mathematical win for you, but I would know that it's not a personal or emotive competition, that you are not just such a power gamer or such a dick that you are trying to win this just because I would know what your intentions are. At least have a yep. pretty good guess what your intentions are. Well, Cause when Wayne pitches it, he says, you know, the Borg is there for whatever reasons. And you know, his intention is to infect Starfleet and blah, blah, blah. We know Wayne and that's the setup for the story. That's not the goal, right? The goal right. is to make for Wayne an interesting story, interesting situations, role-playing opportunities, move your plot along, give the GM plot hooks, fantastic yep. you can't say no to it but if it's type of player who co- would come in and say well my goal is to infect everybody on the ship well, well there's no there's initial no, that's not yeah. your goal there's initial goal which is what he stated there right yeah. when he walked up to the table and some players play that initial goal out throughout the game sure they don't change their goal they don't allow for change of their goal. Mm-hmm. And there could be could have been at the very outset of the game saying, well, you know, he came to you with this idea and it's all oh, that's a cool idea. What's your actual against? Can you be swayed from that goal? Well, what's the player's is, goal? Is yeah. there ability? Is there ability for someone to come up to you and change your mind? Yeah. Throughout yeah. I mean, the game. Is there player? ability that that is, is this a hard set goal? Then you're you're an NPC badass. Well, in my because at that point you're you're essentially that's what that's what he would be better off being as an NPC. You're an antagonist, not a protagonist. In the Skies of Glass game, my current character has a goal that I never communicated with Dan at all, and never communicated with any of the other players. Even though at the the pregame of it, I gave the almost the entire history of the character. I never revealed the character the the end goal of the character, which is to kill himself, and it's not. A goal I'm driving at, it's like in my mind, there are certain conditions mm-hmm. that this will happen under. And he is sort of walking, not driving, just kind of meandering towards those conditions. Yeah. And the play of the game, the players and the relationships are at worst delaying him and at best change slowly changing his mind. Well, you hit on something important there. That's the character's goal. Right. Is that Chad the player's goal? Because the character's goal and the player's goal don't have to be the same thing. Well, well, that's important because in the game where that came out, where it it finally, after all these weeks and weeks and Mm -hmm. weeks of play, I laid that onto the table in an in-character RP session with one of the other players. While we were RPing, that player writes on a note and hands it to me because he is RPing trying to talk Gil into not killing himself. And he writes me a note that says, do you want Gil to die? I don't know. Right. <laughs> well, right. and But even if I take it that way, as the game master when I'm evaluating that, mm-hmm. let's say for a moment that your goal is, so let's take away the I don't sure. know. Let's say... The infinite ad absurdum. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's say that your ultimate goal for this character 
is for this character to end in some form of self-destruction. Right. Whether that's blaze of glory, blaze of glory, or yeah, he just sucks a shotgun, whatever. The point being in the process of that, you will end a character story in a destructive way. You have not ended my game. Absolutely. Right. And I say my, our game, you know what I mean? Yeah. But my point being, it was a game master. It's I'm a value the, the game. game, right? We don't denote over here. Your, your your goal is potentially at worst yeah. for him to die a tragic death. Yes. Not for him to run into the middle of the party, yank the pin out of a grenade, <laughs> surprise, motherfucker, <laughs> and Dink. yeah, and and suddenly my campaign's over, yeah, and it's I, like he's not going to play although, the ring game. If there was, if that came out not intentionally, you know, something happened where you hit the button to basically self-destruct the mm-hmm. game, but it was done in a way where you weren't intended, you know, like yeah. there was a play that was done and it worked out in the storyline. Like that would be one thing. I'm going to do a Thelma and Louise and drive us all off a cliff. Right. There's a chance yeah. for that kind of first something to come up like that in story, as long as that's not your in personal intent. Right. And it's very clear. You've got communication and they're, you know, obviously it'd be circumstantial, you know, reasoning, mm-hmm. but if your goal and intent of your character when you walk into the walk into the table is to destroy the game, mm-hmm. what's the right. point of being there? Yeah. Like, or to do something that even if you don't think is going to destroy the game, you know is going to seriously damage the enjoyment of the other people at the table. You have to if your goal agree. is not to increase your enjoyment, but you know damn well is at least symptomatically going to undermine theirs, mm-hmm. you've got your eyes on the wrong prize. I also think if you walk into a game your character has a goal, you as a player has a goal, and neither one of those change because of anything that's happened throughout the campaign. Boring. Yeah, yeah. You're, you've made a really boring character, or you're not being honest to the character right. you made, because events have happened in the game. Either you or your character would change, at least right. to a degree, yeah. or what their goals are. And, and I'll yeah. counter that, because I, I'll say I completely 100% agree with you. That's how mm-hmm. I like my games. That's how yep. I like my characters. That's how I like to role play with other people and how they, I like to see them role play. We play with someone in our Sunday group who has a 100% consistent character from point A all the way to the end of point B in every single game she plays. And that's her thing. And that's fine. She's not a bad player. She's a great player. She just doesn't want surprises within her character. She mm. likes to know what she's playing. And I don't mean a mechanical level. I mean, from a concept no, level, it. she likes to have that. And she likes to lay it out on the table. There's no hidden buttons well, or things like that. That's fine. You know, there's, yeah, and there, that's fine. There was something that I started talking about earlier, which is maybe a good place to wrap this show up, which is the two other extremes. So we've been talking down the middle. But if you have to fall off this sword, one direction or the other, to one side is a character who is completely plain, straightforward. What you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. This is someone who knows no subtlety, no mm-hmm. whatever. And on the opposite extreme of this is someone who has goals that are so secret or so disruptive or so potentially disruptive that it's going to destroy the game. I know where I would tend to. I would say always <laughs> fail toward the first. Yeah. Because if you fail toward, and I'm going to use fail in loose quotes here, yeah. if you fail toward a character who is inflexible, but is at least stable, predictable, whatever, at least the people walking into the game know what they're getting, they know how adapt to adapt to it, and they know 
where the game's headed and people can work around that and the game master can deal with that and so on and so forth. If you have a character whose goals are so secret or so malicious Mm -hmm. that they are potentially going to destroy the campaign, once again, you are risking the fun of everyone at the table and the hard work that people put into their player characters, the NPCs, the game plot, everything else for a very, very, very minimal payoff. And the other great thing is if you fail to the first extreme of a plain character, a straightforward mm-hmm. character, they make great contrast yeah. to the characters Absolutely. with subtlety. Yeah. To have a straight man to the funny man, yeah. or to have an honest person to the scamp and scoundrel, mm-hmm. That makes a great dichotomy. Yeah. That makes a great contrast. Especially if like, all the players have all this wild, crazy stuff going on. There's always a magnetic north. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they can always coalesce back around the consistent players. There's the this first one immutable first. Joe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Joe. In the first guy's of glass mm-hmm. game, he was yeah. the one that we yeah. could always go back to. Yeah. He was completely what you see is what you get. Yeah. Just a good you have, guy. You have your paladin and mm-hmm. you have your thief. And you have your bard, of course, but right. but you have your paladin and your thief. You have your paladin who's that straightforward. He's like, there's one path. I stick to it. I know you know what you're going to get out of a paladin. Mm-hmm. You don't expect a paladin to all of a sudden go, well, you know, we might kill that guy just out of spite. Yeah. You know, no, he'll smite the things that are evil, but he's not going to smite the good guy randomly just because he feels like it. But the thief, you never know. And that's exactly what you're going for is you have that straightforward character. You're going to you're occasionally going to get those straightforward characters. It's nice to have that dichotomy. What's why you saw it a lot of times in, D- in like uh, early D and D conditions, having the paladin and the thief, because you have the character who wants to be a little wild and crazy, and you have the guy who really wants to stick, you know, straight storyline. That always made a good standard story back in the day. Uh, but if you go, that's why I like a little bit of nuance in my mm-hmm. in anything. But if you're going to go for one side of the sword or the other, absolutely, you you know, you don't want to be yeah. the, all these the chaotic evil characters. Yeah, you know, yeah. a band of chaotic evil characters just makes. The thief is Nothing. there to get the paladin into trouble. The paladin is there to keep the thief honest. Exactly. exactly. The bard is there to laugh at them both. Exactly. <laughs> and they're both there to get the bard out of the trouble he gets himself in. And right. guess what? Now we have a game. Exactly. Yeah. So, anyway. I guess we're going to wrap this one up. Nothing in the show notes outside of the show outline. I don't think we brought up anything that needs to be linked. Bang. Oh, bang. Yeah, I guess I'll link to bang if you want to know what game I'm referring to. It is a great game. I do, mm-hmm. once again, yeah. highly recommend it. It's Except play- for that first edition, just don't play with kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the parody edition. Yeah. So, yeah, check that out, especially if you've got a large group of people to play it with. It seems to scale up very mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So, beyond that, as always, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. Yeah. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2018. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.